You've got shit. I've got shit. We've all got shit. So let's therapize that shit with your host, me, Joy Gerhard. Please note, I am not a therapist. I cannot and do not diagnose anyone or prescribe anything. This is just me, someone who struggles with mental illness, emotions, and intrusive thoughts, sharing what skills I've used and how I've used them. Also, trigger warning, in this podcast, I talk about sensitive topics including mental illness, suicidal ideation, self-harm, rape, childhood sexual assault, trauma, and more. I also swear here and there, so listener discretion is advised. Welcome, welcome. Boy, do I have a doozy of an episode for you today. Oh, Lord. Okay, so if you listened to episode 17, you heard me responding to having just said goodbye to my former partner right before he moved away. And most recent time I've seen him since I basically did no contact. And I had a lot of feelings and a lot of stuff came up and I was recording myself react to that. Today, we're going to be listening to a recording from the day after that. I'm doing this part, the intro and outro, on February 28th. Happy last day of Black History Month to everyone. And the bit you're about to hear is from February 4th. And yeah, it's a doozy. So in the recording you're about to hear, I had just gotten off the phone with my former partner after talking for two hours. I instigated the call. I had messaged him and asked if he would be willing to talk because I had some things I wanted to say, things I'd been mulling over since the day before when I had seen him for the last time. And a couple just housekeeping items to orient you for what you're about to hear. I'm going to mention an acronym, SUDS, S-U-D, little s. It's like soap suds, spelled the same way at any rate. And it stands for Subjective Units of Distress. It's basically a way to give my therapist and, well, myself for that matter, a quick snapshot of how strong my emotions are. Typically, suds are out of 100. Also, if this is your first time listening to my podcast, first off, welcome. And second off, I talk a lot about DBT, which is Dialectic Behavioral Therapy. It's the type of therapy that I'm currently in, and it's the type of therapy that I did five years ago. I use the DBT Skills and Training Manual a lot. Uh, it's written by Marsha Linehan. There's a link in the description and also on my webpage. You can find a link to a PDF, like a digital version online, and also a link to where you can buy it. The DBT manual is great. And every time I read from the DBT manual, you'll hear me turn on a little bit of reverb. So it sounds like I'm in the Library of Congress or more accurately, a library bathroom. It gets a little echoey and I use that as a way of indicating these are not my original thoughts. I'm quoting something. Every handout that I reference in the episode is listed in the podcast description. Also, in the recording you're about to hear, I have some pauses in there, which I left in on purpose because frequently I'll ask myself a question like, what is this thought trying to do for me? Or what is this judgment trying to protect me from? Kind of introspective questions like that. And I don't get the answer right away. I just kind of sit here and wait. Yeah, so I left those in there for when I'm listening for the thoughts that I'm having, because it's not like reading dictation. It's not like there's a script just ready to go in my head. I have to sit and wait and listen. And so there are some pauses in there. 
Also, the skill that I'm practicing in this episode has a step that has me repeat several times. So there will be a section where I kind of keep going over the same ground over and over again, and that's on purpose. Each time I cover that ground, I notice something different, so it does serve a function, and it might get mildly repetitive. Have no fear, dear listener, as repetitive as it is for you, it's equally, if not more so, for me, because these are some well-trod thoughts. These are like my best of compilations. The old favorites, stuck in syndication and being perpetually rerun over and over and over again. So yeah, that's what we're about to do. I want to kind of start things off by summarizing where I am emotionally before the recording starts. I had texted my therapist how I was feeling and what was going on with me, because one of the things I'm practicing with my therapist is actually reaching out when I'm experiencing distress. I have a tendency to insulate and hibernate rather than engage and ask for support. And that was getting in the way of me being effective in therapy. So I'm practicing this. I messaged my therapist. And so I'm going to read off what I said and then how my therapist responded. So you'll hear me (laughs) sound very, very sniffly as I'm reading off what I said. And then you'll hear this voice this normal, totally undistressed voice reading my therapist's response. Here we go. Okay, in the middle of the conversation, I said, my subjective units of distress, my suds, which are out of 100, are a 70. My self-harm urges are at an 80 out of 100. I'm having the thought that I'm desperate to self-harm. I'm using mindfulness to current thoughts and mindfulness to current emotions. I don't know what I need right now. My therapist responded and asked if I would like some coaching around which skills to use for my high urges or for distress tolerance. I texted my therapist. I'm not entirely sure what would be helpful right now. I just got off the phone with him after a two-hour conversation. I'm having a lot of self-judgment about instigating the call to begin with. Sadness is 90 out of 100. My urges to self-harm are lower, probably 60 out of 100. And there's no chance of actually acting on them because I know it would postpone doing exposure therapy. I'm having the thought that I'm insane. I'm having the thought that I made up all my pain and that it's all an interpretation rather than actually justified. I'm having the thought that I got what I deserved because I was the one who reached out and said that I had some things I wanted to say. I'm having the thought that none of my thoughts or feelings are valid. (laughs) That they're all misinterpretations and none of them actually fit the facts. And my therapist responded with some validation saying that feeling sad after speaking with a former partner makes absolute sense. And it doesn't matter whether it was my choice to speak to him or not. Anyone would feel sad. And I said, I think I know that logically, and yet I don't feel that it's okay. I was saying to my former partner how I was struggling because I was the one who lost my home. Like, I had to move out and my job because I was working for him. And he said that we could have worked around both of those. He said that he never asked me to move out and that we could have found a way for me to stay there. 
Mm-hmm. And he also said that I could have still worked for him. Though I don't see how, because he was paying me by paying for my half of the rent and utilities and food. And since I moved out, he had no way to actually pay me. I'm having the thought that the entirety of my invalidation is in my head. And that I'm interpreting it all and that it's my fault that I feel invalidated. Because I'm choosing to interpret things that way. When I told my former partner how I felt, he said he felt angry. Because I was interpreting things incorrectly, like not in line with what actually happened. And that the times I felt invalidated weren't actually what he said or how he felt. And my therapist responded, insane is a huge, huge judgment. And they encouraged me to practice non-judgmental stance and self-soothing for myself. They said they knew it might be hard and asked me to try anyway. They also said, and I thought this was really validating, we don't make up pain. It's there. Our emotions show up and being gentle with and caring for ourselves and our emotions is needed, even if we can't make immediate sense of the prompt. Feeling invalidated is not a choice we make. Two people can interpret and experience the same event very differently. They said to go ahead and keep up being mindful to my current thoughts and letting those thoughts and judgments pass. And they were really encouraging. They said, I know you're super skillful, and I know you can be kind to yourself tonight and eventually get some rest. So that's kind of a summary of my emotional state as we start off this recording. And I'll get into kind of the more details of how the phone call went as I am going over my thoughts and whatnot. The truth is, the details of the call aren't really all that important. I have a lot of thoughts and emotions come up, and that's my focus here not to problem solve and fact check every single thing I said and every single thing my former partner said, but rather to process the thoughts and emotions that are coming up from it. All right, let's go ahead and dive in. Past joy. Take it away. So I'm going to do some mindfulness to current thoughts and some non-judgment. I figured I might as well do it now while I am feeling just absolutely fucking miserable. And my pile of tissues is steadily growing. So come join me while I do this. So mindfulness to current thoughts is a distress tolerance skill. Specifically, it's a skill that helps us accept reality according to distress tolerance handout 10 reality acceptance skills are skills for how to live a life that is not the life you want so mindfulness to current thoughts involves four main steps step one observe your current thoughts step two adopt a curious mind step three remember you are not your thoughts step four don't block or suppress thoughts. So those are kind of the big steps, and that's on Distress Tolerance Handout 15, which is titled Mindfulness of Current Thoughts. It's a focus on thoughts that cause distress. So I'm just going to kind of go through these because I have just so many thoughts. Okay, let's start here. Step one, observe your thoughts. As waves coming and going, not suppressing thoughts, 
not judging thoughts. Like, there are no good or bad thoughts. Our thoughts are just, I don't like just. Our thoughts are what our brain thinks. Acknowledging their presence, not keeping thoughts around, not analyzing thoughts, practicing willingness, stepping back and observing thoughts as they run in and out of your mind. Practicing willingness, that's distress tolerance handout 13. Willingness is another, you guessed it, distress tolerance handout skill. It is acceptance in action. Willingness is readiness to enter and participate fully in life and living. I'm not, I'm not going to get into it right now. I'm going to go back to um, mindfulness of current thoughts for a second. So observe your thoughts as waves coming and going, not suppressing thoughts, not judging thoughts, acknowledging their presence, not keeping thoughts around, not analyzing thoughts, practicing willingness, stepping back and observing thoughts as they run in and out of your mind. All right, I'm just going to start saying my thoughts. I'm having the thought that I'm insane. I'm having the thought that I'm wrong. I'm having the thought that he's right. I'm having the thought that I can't trust my own reality. I'm having the thought that I can't trust my own experience. I'm having the thought that my experience doesn't matter. I'm having the thought that I choose to be invalidated. I'm having the thought that I choose pain. I'm having the thought that I am interpreting things wrong. I'm having the thought that this pain I'm having right now is my fault because I'm the one who reached out to him to have a conversation. I'm having the thought that struggling means that I have no skills. I'm having the thought that I'll never get better. I'm having the thought that I'll never heal. I'm having the thought that I can't hold his experience and mine at the same time. Ooh, this is fun. I saw this quote the other day on TikTok. This is from the account mindful underscore Tom on TikTok. It says, my therapist said the other day that empathy without self-respect will always lead to self-sabotage because you'll be able to always see the good in people but you'll use that as a way to justify them hurting you. And I felt that because I noticed that as soon as I start, when I'm focusing on understanding somebody else's experience, frequently I do that at the expense of my own experience. Like if that's their experience, then I can't possibly have my own experience. My experience is wrong. My experience is bad. I'm having the thought that my experience is wrong. I'm having the thought that my experience is bad. I'm having the thought that I made all of this up. I'm having the thought that I misinterpreted all of this. I'm having the thought that I'm, I'm the reason I'm miserable. I'm having the thought that I caused my own pain. I'm having the thought that you should be very, very grateful that I'm editing out all my... Um, Every time I'm blowing my nose, because it would blow your ears out. 
my pile of tissue. I'm, I need to take a picture and post that. The pile of all of my Kleenex. It's not Kleenex. It's actually toilet paper. Toilet paper makes fantastic Kleenex. Because you can adjust the size of every single tissue according to your needs in that particular moment. I'm going to look at step two for a second here. Step two on the mindfulness of current thoughts handout, which is distress tolerance handout 15, is adopt a curious mind. Ask, where do my thoughts come from? Watch and see. Um, I'm having the thought. Please listen to me. Please understand me. Like, my thoughts come from a place of wanting to be seen and heard and understood. So getting back to step two. Notice that every thought that comes also goes out of your mind. Observe, but do not evaluate your thoughts. Let go of judgments. Oh, God. That one's tricky right now. Because all I have right now are judgments of my own thoughts. That I'm having the wrong thought. That I'm blaming myself. I'm having the thought that I should have different thoughts. I'm having the thought that I should have behaved differently. Like, all of these are judgments. So, let's ask, where do my thoughts come from? And without even having to wait all that long and see the thought that comes up right away is they're trying to protect you. They're trying to protect you from hurting. They're trying to protect you from losing your identity. That quote I read to you just now about how... I'm going to read it again. From mindful underscore Tom... Empathy without self-respect will always lead to self-sabotage because you'll be able to always see the good in people, but you'll use that as a way of justifying them hurting you. I mean, if I extrapolate that, empathizing without self-respect means that I can understand my former partner's experience and I give more weight to it to his experience than, than I give to my own. Like, I'm watching myself just totally invalidate my experience. Part of it's things he said, you know, when I was saying how I have a hard time listening to his misery because, like, I'm the one who lost their home and I'm the one who lost their job and I'm, you know... And he said, I didn't ask you to move out and I didn't ask you to stop working for me. And the reality was, like, I couldn't stay. I couldn't stay and not be his partner. I couldn't keep working for him and building his company and have it not be the life that I thought we were going to have. Like, I was supporting his company because I thought we would have this shared life and that his success was our success. And after the breakup, like, that's not not how it works anymore. So anyway, he was saying that he didn't ask me to move out. He didn't ask me to stop working for him, that he wanted to find ways for me to stay in the apartment and for me to keep working for him. And when he said that, I had the thought, oh, so my sadness about moving out and my sadness about not working for him anymore, like I'm creating my own sadness 
It doesn't have to be this way. That's the thought I'm having. Ask, where do my thoughts come from? Watch and see. So I'm going to sit here for a second and ask that question internally. Where do my thoughts come from? So right away, I I hear uh, from a desire to be heard and understood. I'm having the thought that I really want to be understood and heard. Getting back to step two here. After asking, where do my thoughts come from? Notice that every thought that comes also goes out of your mind. Oh, I know that's true because in step one, where I was observing my thoughts, I was listing off the thoughts I was having and I can't remember them right now. I mean, I remember some of them, the ones that are particularly painful, like I was having the thought that I'm insane. I was having the thought that my former partner's experience is more important than mine. I was having the thought that I am causing my own pain. And that there's nothing that he did that caused me pain. I'm having the thought that I made up all of it. And I know there were other thoughts I listed off, and I can't remember them all right now. Which seems to be a pretty good indicator that every thought that comes also goes out of my mind. Observe, but do not evaluate your thoughts. Let go of judgments. Step three is remember you are not your thoughts. And right away I have the thought that if I am not my thoughts, then what the fuck am I? I've been having this thought a lot lately. That none of my experience is real. I've been having that thought a lot. I was having it while I was in a relationship with him, and certainly since. I often feel like I'm in the Matrix. Like the the actual Matrix part of the movie, not the real world part of the movie. And that if I'm having an experience, it's because it's all in my head. And I'm not wild about quoting J.K. Rowling because her whole stance on trans folks is abhorrent. And there's a line from Harry Potter that I love. It's in the seventh book and the eighth movie where Harry asks Dumbledore, is any of this real or is it all in my head? And Dumbledore says, Of course it's all in your head, but why should that mean it's not real? (laughs) Like I'm having the thought right now that none of my thoughts are real. None of my experiences are real. I'm having the thought that I don't know what is real. I'm having the thought that I'm insane. I'm having the thought that no one will want me. I'm having the thought that I am beyond hope. I was hanging out with my aunt and my grandmother yesterday, and my grandmother was expressing some concern about this podcast, that it would have me get stuck in emotions rather than move through them. And I thought that was a pretty good indicator that she hadn't actually listened to any of the episodes, because if you have listened to any of the episodes, you'll notice that I actually move through my emotions during the course of an episode and that where I start is pretty much never where I end up. Like I actually process things and move through them. Like my grandmother had a concern that wading into emotions and thoughts would have me 
get stuck in them, which is exactly the opposite of my own experience, that wading into them and identifying them and actually shining a flashlight on them is what has them shrink and get smaller and become less all-encompassing and threatening. And I understand why she would have that concern. I mean, unless you've actually tried it, unless you've actually like been like, hey, here's a thought that I've been avoiding. Let's actually look at it. Let's ask some questions of it and let's see what it's trying to do for me. Unless you've actually done that and then watched that thought have less and less power, it would be easy to look at somebody who's actually diving into their thoughts and go, ooh, that's dangerous. There be dragons. Like, I've only ever noticed an improvement. Sip three here is remember you are not your thoughts. Do not necessarily act on thoughts. Remember times when you've had very different thoughts. Remind yourself that catastrophic thinking is emotion mind. Remember how you think when you're not feeling such intense suffering and pain. I don't know if it was earlier today or yesterday or when it was, but I was talking to my sister. Hi, Ruth. We were talking about trauma and how she was so frustrated. She's like, oh, I keep finding layers and layers of shit. How do you not get like just pissed off at each new thing you find that's just like fuck another thing to have to deal with? And I've been just trying on a new perspective just for fun, just to try it on. And so I said, okay, what if all of those layers of shit are between me and this thing that is buried deep, deep, deep in the ground? Like an ichthyosaur. If you've been listening to the podcast at all, you understand that an ichthyosaur is kind of like my holy grail. <laughs> there was uh, some landscaper folks who were doing work at a reservoir in England, in the UK, uh, a couple months ago, and they found a bone, and that bone happened to belong to an ichthyosaur, which is a dinosaur that is aquatic, swims in the ocean. Like, holy fuck, none of us have ever had as interesting a day at work as that worker who was just digging around, I don't know, planting flowers or pruning shrubs or whatever, and found dinosaur bone. Dude, I could live off that high forever. So I was saying to my sister, like, what if all of this shit that we're processing, like the processing of it is what has us get closer to this ichthyosaur, to this ultimate goal. And I think my ultimate goal is freedom is actually living a life where I'm making choices rather than having my subconscious make choices for me, rather than have my trauma, you know, steering the ship, rather than having my harmful beliefs and my avoidance and all of these other things, rather than having those drive. I want to be driving. And so my sister then asked, well, then if all of our trauma is the shit we have to dig through, how then do you not have this just really angry annoyance at the trauma? Like, fuck, another wheelbarrow full of dirt I have to move? I sat with that question for a second and just off the cuff, 
hypothesized. I was like, okay, if I actually want to relate to the things I'm processing and the work that I'm doing in a positive way and not be super annoyed at it all the time, what would I choose to believe? And this is the answer that I came up with. Imagine a situation where I don't have any power tools. I don't have earth movers or a backhoe or bulldozers or anything else. I'm like digging down to find this dinosaur with a shovel and my hands. And that is it. Well, it also means that when I get to my ichthyosaur, that I will not have a crane or any other mechanical thing to help me move it. So what if all of the work that I'm doing to move this gross tonnage of shit out of the way is actually preparing me to then move the thing I ultimately want? It's basically training, right? It's like, if ultimately I'm going to have to move a 30-foot dinosaur skeleton, then it's probably going to be useful to bulk up and gain some muscle between now and then. So what if moving all of this dirt, all of this shit, as I'm digging down, is actually preparing me, making me stronger, improving my stamina, so that when I ultimately get to what I want, I will actually be able to take action. Because like, Worst case scenario is, right, like you dig all the way down to this dinosaur skeleton and then you can't move it. He's like, well, here it is. I, I, I reached it and now I can't unearth it. I can't pull it out of the dirt, take it out and assemble it and showcase it or whatever. So I've been thinking about that and practicing viewing my, my pain. And my practice, like the practice, the work I've been doing around it as kind of practice for later on. I don't know. I, ultimately, I don't know what my ichthyosaur is. And I really want, when I find it, to be able to actually interact with it. I really don't want to get all the way down there and then go, well, fuck, I'm not prepared to actually take advantage of this amazing thing that I have found. So... In step three, when it says, remember you are not your thoughts, remember times when you've had very different thoughts. <laughs> like, earlier today, I had a different thought. And yesterday, whenever it was that I was talking to my sister, I was having different thoughts. I was having the thought that processing my trauma, processing my pain could be useful. Could be training me to be able to be effective later. So that was the time I had a different thought. Remember how you think when you are not feeling such intense suffering and pain. I mean, there are moments when I actually have perspective, right? When I can see the bigger picture, when I can... <laughs> I think of Karate Kid, right? When Daniel's son is being trained by Mr. Miyagi and Mr. Miyagi has him wax all his cars, wax on, wax off. And he has him paint a fence and he's, you know, snapping his wrist up and down and up and down. 
And he's doing all of these things. And Daniel is super annoyed by it. Like, what is the point of all of this? And then, of course, later he realizes, oh, he was just having me do these motions over and over again because these are fundamental foundational motions that you need in order to be effective at karate. In the same way that like drilling the alphabet or times tables are fundamental in order to be able to read or write or do any kind of math. And of course, in the moment, Daniel was annoyed because he thought all of this was a waste of time, whereas Mr. Miyagi had the bigger picture in mind. And there fucking hell there are times when I can see the bigger picture clearly which means that there are times when I'm not having these thoughts times when I can see the usefulness of my pain and how I can actually like like an alchemist transform it into something useful how I choose to interact with it and I want to say something right here, just real quick. I'm asking all of these questions to myself. Like, remember, you're not your thoughts. Remember times when you've had different thoughts, all of this. I am choosing to do this exercise. If somebody else came to me right now and said, okay, Joy, what was the last time you felt happy? I'd fucking want to punch them in the face. Like... Somebody coming in and being like, okay, let's cheer her up. Let's remind her of a time she felt encouraged or a time she felt motivated or whatever. This exercise is only useful because I'm choosing to do it. And I'm choosing to practice something right now. But I really don't want to do it. I really don't want to be practicing this. And I'm having the thought, like... This is the time to do it. It's one of the lovely things of this podcast, actually. It's actually been really motivating and having me use skills in extreme distress so that I can record myself doing it for the benefit of you, dear listener, and also myself. But like a lot of motivation and whatever is stuff that's lovely to think and feel and meditate on when we're doing fine. And the true test of whether it's effective is whether it actually is helpful when we're feeling like shit. And I'm like, none of these therapy skills are worth anything unless I'm actually using them in the thick of things. (laughs) I'm just feeling so fucking sad. I'm having the thought. All of the things I lost. All of the future I thought I was going to have with my former partner. I'm feeling really sad. And remember how you think when you are not feeling such intense suffering and pain. I mean, fuck. Just earlier today, I was thinking about how uh, the term poorness of fit, like a fit that is poor, that is not adequate. Like if you're a size nine foot trying to fit yourself into a size 14 shoe, that's a poorness of fit. It's a term I ran across in Marsha Linehan's book about cognitive behavioral therapy. There's a lot of stuff in that book that's, I think, applicable to what I'm dealing with. But I like the term poorness of fit 
because it's not judging the foot or the shoe. It's just saying the fit is not good. (laughs) It is a poor fit. And in my more grounded moments, I can see how my relationship with my former partner was a poor fit. Like how we viewed the world. And I feel really sad about that because I have a thought that like, I really wanted it to work. I really wanted to be with him. I'm having the thought that I really wanted to build a future with him. I'm having the thought that I really wanted to have a life with him and partner with him. And I feel really sad that that's not going to happen. Okay, fine. I don't, I can't read the future. I feel really sad that it is not currently happening. Okay, let's look at step four here. Um, mindfulness of current thoughts. Don't block or suppress thoughts. Ask What sensations are these thoughts trying to avoid? Turn your mind to the sensation. Then come back to the thought. And repeat several times. Fucking hell. Be thankful, dear listener, for my editing here. Because, I mean, I've gone through... I'm going to post a picture of my mountain of toilet paper. The number of times I've blown my nose here. Okay, what, what sensations are these thoughts trying to avoid? Sadness. So I'm going to turning my mind to the sensation. is missing missing my former partner missing the life we had together missing the way we used to relate to each other the conversations we used to have and the things we used to do together then come back to the thought okay I'm having the thought that he can't have his thoughts and experiences and I'm having the thought that if he has his experience, I can't have mine. I'm having the thought that his experience trumps mine. I'm having the thought that my experience is invalid. I'm having the thought that I'm wrong. I'm having the thought that my thoughts are wrong. I'm having the thought that my emotions are wrong. I'm having the thought that I'm bad. (sighs) Okay. I'm going to go back to that step again. Ask what sensations are these thoughts trying to avoid? (sighs) Trying to avoid feeling sad. Trying to avoid holding that dialectic, holding that both and, that he can have his experience and I can have mine, and they're both valid, and they both make sense. 
And it hurts my brain to hold both of those. And I'm trying to avoid that. So I'm going to lean into that sensation now. He can have his experience and I can have mine. I feel sad and my nose hurts. Okay. What sensations are these thoughts trying to avoid? They're trying to avoid holding both things to be true at the same time. That he can have his experience and I can have mine. God, that feels threatening. <sighs> Fuck. Okay, so here's something I'm noticing right now. I'm having a moment of lucidity, feeling particularly lucid. Oh. I'm just noticing there's a lot of sadness that I have not processed yet because it's all coming up now. And that I have been using my anger at him, my judgment of him, to avoid feeling sad. Fucking hell. God fucking damn it. Um, to avoid missing him. <laughs> to avoid missing our life. The way we used to talk. The way we used to laugh together. The way we used to cook together. The way we used to watch movies together. The way we used to work together. God, I feel so sad. All of this mental energy has been aimed at him. Judging his experience... I'm not wanting to sit with my own. And of course there's there's more to it than that. Not not wanting to sit with my own experience, not thinking my own experience is even worth holding space for. And clearly judging my own experience and avoiding my own experience and using my anger to facilitate both of those. Okay. Next here, in step four, there's, you know, several bullet points. The next bullet point is step back and allow your thoughts to come and go as you observe your breath. I'm just going to breathe here for a second. I'm going to do willing hands, which is basically... Um, unclenching my hands. I'm sitting um, cross-legged on my bed. Here, I'm just going to take a picture and I'll post it. I'm going to post one half of myself because I have to use the other half to demonstrate. That's not it. 
There. There's a picture. So I can stop trying to describe what willing hands is. So I'm going to sit here like that for a second and do some observation of my breath. I'm not going to be box breathing. I'm just going to be breathing. Allow your thoughts to come and go as you observe your breath. I'm having the thought that I miss him. I'm having the thought that I miss us. I'm having the thought that I miss our life. I'm having the thought that I miss our partnership. I'm having the thought that I drove him away. I'm having the thought that it's my fault. I'm having the thought that I I made all this happen. I'm having the thought that I'm angry at myself. I'm having the thought that no one will ever love me. I'm having the thought that I lost him. And that brings up a lot of sadness. <laughs> the next bullet point here is play with your thoughts. Repeat them out loud over and over as fast as you can. Sing them. Imagine the thoughts as the words of a clown. As recordings getting all tangled up. As cute animals you can cuddle up to, as bright colors running through your mind, as only sounds. And basically the point here is that my brain thinks it's what it does. And I don't know if you ever had to study the Oregon Trail, if you're in a student in the United States school system. Um, if you are in a different country, the Oregon Trail was a kind of the, the most efficient route to get from the Midwest and or East Coast to the West Coast of the United States. And along the Oregon Trail, and they're still there now, are wagon wheel ruts. So many wagons went over the exact same place over and over and over again that it created wheel ruts like these grooves in the dirt. And if you were driving a wagon and you were in the wheel ruts and you wanted to get out of the wheel ruts, that was very, very challenging because the, the easiest place for that wagon to be was in those wheel ruts. Like all, 
all the oxen or the horses had to do was just keep walking forward and the wagon would stay in those wheel ruts. It becomes challenging when you try to get out of the wheel ruts and then anywhere else you're driving will be more challenging because it hasn't been driven over over and over and over again. And thoughts are like that. Patterns of thoughts are like just entrenched wheel ruts. And so this idea of playing with your thoughts is basically saying, hey, this thought you keep having over and over again, you keep having it over and over again, not necessarily because it's true. Like it doesn't necessarily point to the truth, to the fact of the situation. You could just be having it over and over again because that's a pattern of thought you have. And the act of repeating them over or singing them or whatever highlights that, hey, this is a thing our brain does in the same way that we get earworms. And I've been singing Taylor Swift's Better Man, Taylor's version, over and over again all day today. I have woken up multiple times with a song already stuck in my head um, because that's what our brain does. Our brains think. So let's try the thought, no one will ever love me. 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 Singing it here now. No one will ever love me. No one will ever love me. No one will ever love me. Imagine the thoughts as the word of a clown. Well, if I were talking to the toddler that I hung out with today, I would say something like, Will no one ever love you? Is that a thought you're having? Are you having the thought no one will ever love you? That's silly. Isn't that silly? That's a silly thought. No one will ever love you. What? No one will ever love you? Imagine the thoughts as recordings getting all tangled up. Love no one ever will. Love no one you love will ever. No one love ever will you. No love one ever love you. One ever love one you. Which gives me flashbacks to the Sheriff of Rottingham from Robin Hood Men in Tights. King illegal forest, two pig wild, kill in it is. What? I mean, don't you know? It is illegal to kill a wild pig in the king's forest. Imagine the thoughts as cute animals you can cuddle up to. Aww, look at that. No one will ever love you. What a cute little thought. Oh, look at your cheeks. <laughs> oh, God. Imagine the thoughts as bright colors running through your mind. That one's harder to podcast about because I cannot podcast in colors. Imagine your thoughts as only sounds. No one will ever love you. 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 Well, it does get monotonous after a while. Oh no! This brings us to the last bullet point in distress tolerance handout fifteen. 
Try loving your thoughts. Again, I want to clarify, I'm choosing to do this. If somebody ever walks up to you while you're in significant distress and tells you to try loving your thoughts, well, first off, I don't advocate violence. And I can understand if you want to punch them. (sighs) Try loving your thoughts. The thought no one will ever love you. It's trying to protect me. That's really nice. It's trying to protect me. It's trying to, it's trying to protect me from feeling hurt, from having a hope, and then being disappointed. <laughs> the thought that I caused this, that I did all of this, that it's all my fault, is trying to prevent me from having this happen again. Then it's a nice thing that my brain is trying to keep this pain from recurring. That's really nice. My brain doesn't want to go through this again. That's a nice thing. Fucking hell, guys. I mean, it's hard to say that I feel better. And, I mean, I clearly do feel better because... Well, maybe it's not clear to you. Like, if I were to quantify my subjective units of distress out of 100, in the middle of my conversation with my partner, I told my therapist my subjective units of distress, my suds, were 70 out of 100, and my self-harm urges were 80. At the end of the conversation with my partner, so right before I hopped on to do this recording, my sadness was a 90 out of 100, And my self-harm urges were 60. And right now, my sadness is at a 40, probably. So down from 90. That's nice. And my self-harm urges, I don't actually have any desire to self-harm right now. So I don't feel comfortable saying zero. I'm going to say 10 out of 100. I feel the necessity to quote Marsha Linehan in here. She's the one who designed and created the dbt manual this is from distress tolerance handout 11 on radical acceptance why accept reality reason number seven the path out of hell is through misery by refusing to accept the misery that is part of climbing out of hell you fall back into hell several years ago i went on a hike normally it's not listed as a day hike. It's an overnight hike. And I decided to do it in a day. It was 20 miles and right around mile, I don't know, eight or nine, I developed a blister on the side of my big toe. I can post a picture of that. You'll hate me for it. And I can post a picture of that. And the thing about this hike, it was a circle. So you get halfway through and it is just as much effort to keep going as it is to turn back. Like at some point, it actually becomes less effort to keep going than to turn back because 12 miles in, because it's a big circle, I have eight miles left to go or I could turn around and go back 12 more miles. So like I was hurting. Every single step was painful. And the way to get out of the pain was to finish hiking because there was no way to get out. There was no way to tell anyone to come rescue me. First off, no one's going to come rescue me because I have a blister. This was not a broken leg. It was a blister. It was a huge blister. 
It was a gross blister. It turned black. And <laughs> it was not a broken leg. So, like, the way to stop being in pain was to finish the hike, which meant that in the meantime, I was going to be in pain. And I had the desire to sit down and give up many times. Sitting down and giving up was not going to finish the hike. Sitting down and giving up would actually prolong the amount of time I was going to stay on that trail. Because if I didn't hike the last 10 miles today, I was going to have to hike them tomorrow. And if I didn't hike them tomorrow, I was going to have to hike them in three days. Not to mention the fact that I didn't bring any overnight gear whatsoever. So the way to stop hurting was to keep going. And keeping going was painful. And I think that's true of this sort of shit. I'm going to read that thing again. About radical acceptance and hell. Please hold. The path out of hell is through misery. By refusing to accept the misery that is part of climbing out of hell, you fall back into hell. I mentioned the hiking thing because it's a really visceral example, like a physical example rather than an emotional one. But like if I had sat down and said, I refuse to be in pain for one more second, like I wouldn't have been able to finish the hike. My corpse would be found wherever I sat down because I would have refused to keep hiking and I would have starved to death. Well, no, I probably would have died of dehydration first. And that was, I don't know, five or six years ago. So I'm assuming it would just be my skeleton sitting or scattered up in the uh, high divide loop in the Olympic National Park. I mentioned this because clearly doing all of this exercise, like it was not pleasant. There were times when I cried harder and felt worse. <laughs> and ultimately, I'm now at a place where I feel, I mean, sadness is 40 out of 100 instead of 90 out of 100 when I started. And it's not linear. And I fully expect that there will be times between now and when I go to bed when I cry again. And times tomorrow. And times right now, actually. And I'm just, I'm aware that the sadness actually needs to come out because I've been avoiding it. I've been using anger. Um, to avoid feeling sad. So I think the most effective thing to do is to actually just fucking feel the sadness. And I don't want to. And it's not pleasant. I don't like it. And I have all manner of judgments around it. And all there is to do is go, oh, hello, judgment. Look at you go. That's, that's a thought I'm going to have. That's a fucking wheel rut right there. Of course, I'm going to have that judgment. Anywho, um, I'm going to toss this back to future joy who is probably happily sitting with a full belly and a warm room and not crying a month in the future instead of present me, which just got through one 10-year anniversary of a rape and three five-year anniversaries of rapes in the last two weeks. All right, future Joy, take it away. All right. Thank you, Past Joy. I am, in fact, sitting with a full belly in a warm room, and I'm not crying. So apparently I can, <laughs> I can tell the future. Oh, so that was a lot. It was a lot to listen back to, certainly. One of the lovely things about doing recordings while I'm in distress and then doing the commentary for it, you know, three or four weeks later, is that it's training my brain 
that my emotions don't last forever. It's also training my brain that my thoughts don't last forever, that my thoughts come and go, which was kind of the entire point of the mindfulness of current thoughts exercise you just listened to. And I mentioned that in the recording you just heard on Distress Tolerance Handout 15, Mindfulness of Current Thoughts. One of the items in step two, which is adopt a curious mind, is notice that every thought that comes also goes out of your mind, which clearly is the case because the thoughts that I was having in this recording are not thoughts that I'm having right this second. I'm having different thoughts right this second. Right this second, I am having the thought that I keep making mistakes and I'm going to need to do a lot of editing on my intro and outro. I'm not having the thought that no one will ever love me. And then in step three on mindfulness of current thoughts, step three is remember you're not your thoughts. And one of the items under it is remember times when you've had very different thoughts. Remember how you think when you were not feeling such intense suffering and pain. And that's weird because I am now having the thought that telling myself that while I'm in distress is really invalidating. Like telling myself while I'm crying and having the thought that no one will ever love me, saying to that version of me, hey, you don't always think that way. That can be invalidating. It certainly doesn't acknowledge the thought I'm having. It basically tries to wallpaper over the thought I'm having. And that's why on Distress Tolerance Handout 15, which describes all the steps of mindfulness of current thoughts, the first thing is to observe your thoughts. And that's really, really important. I need to acknowledge where I currently am, the thoughts I'm currently having, before I can do all the other things. And I am super, 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 super sensitive to invalidation. And I've talked about that before on the podcast. I just started doing prolonged exposure therapy with my therapist to traumatic invalidation because this is an issue for me. I expect invalidation from other people. When it happens, it feels catastrophic. And I invalidate myself all the time, which is part of the reason why other people's invalidation of me feels catastrophic. If I could validate myself, I wouldn't be as wiped out by other people's invalidation. So yes, it is lovely to see the thoughts I was having three or four weeks ago are not the thoughts that I'm having today. I also wanted to point out a couple other points. Like what was the point of doing all the mindfulness of current thoughts? Especially because I started the episode crying and I ended it crying. I started the episode sad and I ended it sad. And that's a good question. I certainly, when I started doing therapy, had the assumption that I wouldn't be in distress anymore. <laughs> like once I processed a feeling or processed some thoughts or processed trauma, I would no longer feel such intense sadness or anger or fear or whatever. And I don't think that's what actually is the case. Certainly what I noticed while listening back to that recording we just heard is that it doesn't turn my emotions off. Like being skillful, using a skill doesn't mean I stop feeling. It takes the edge off the feeling. Like when I started the recording, my suds, my subjective units of distress were 90 and when I ended, they were 40. So I went from being like super, super, almost maxed out in terms of my sadness down to a much more manageable level, which is the goal. Not to have no feelings, but rather to be able to regulate my feelings, my emotions, to not be run by them. A lot of the times my feelings kind of feel like a toddler who really wants to drive the car and 
I understand the toddler has very strong opinions about where we're going and wants to go that way or wants to go this other way. And under no circumstance should the toddler be allowed to drive the car. And when I'm deep into emotion mind, when I'm super distressed, which is usually when my suds are over 70, the thinking part of my brain kind of turns off. (laughs) I am strictly responding from my blizzard brain, and that's not going to be as effective. So skills usage in general, I use my skills so that I can regulate my emotions, bring myself down out of distress, and be able to be more effective. Why be mindful of my thoughts, though? Like, what's the point of the skill mindfulness of current thoughts? We have talked before on this podcast about the model for describing emotions, the e-wheel. In the DBT manual, it's emotion regulation handout five, but the way the diagram is drawn in the DBT manual is overly confusing. So I prefer an alternative. There's a link to the PDF in the description. An emotion wheel is made up of three main components, our experience, like what it feels like inside, our expression, how we communicate that to other people, like what it looks like to other people, and echoes. So how that emotion impacts my behavior and my state of mind as the day goes on. How that wheel starts spinning is usually triggered by one of two things, an event or our interpretation, like our thoughts about an event. So an event or my thought about the event will trigger an emotion and now I'm off to the races. And I get into trouble, like I stop being effective when I start interacting with my thought about an event as the truth of that event. So here's a way of phrasing what happened without using a skill. My partner broke up with me and no one's ever going to love me and I'll be alone forever. Like I have taken the event, my partner broke up with me and smashed it together with my thoughts. No one will ever love me and I will be single forever. However, no one will ever love me is not what happened. And I will be single forever is not what happened. My partner broke up with me is what happened. And those thoughts make total sense, and they come from somewhere, and it is true that I have those thoughts. And those thoughts don't point to the facts. Identifying a thought as a thought kind of gets a crowbar in between the event and my thoughts or interpretations about the event. I can get that crowbar in there and pry it apart and create a tiny bit of wiggle room to separate the event from my thoughts about it. What actually happened was my partner broke up with me. And then I had the thought, no one will ever love me. And I had the thought, I will be single forever. Sometimes my brain doesn't have that thought. Like I wasn't having that thought while I was listening back to the recording we just heard. And I'm not having the thought right this second. Which means that my partner broke up with me, no one will ever love me and I'll be single forever is not what happened. Because if that was what happened... I would be having those thoughts right this second, and I'm not. What happened was my partner broke up with me. So that means my brain doesn't always have those thoughts. Those thoughts are my wheel ruts. It's where my brain will go when I'm tired or stressed or having very, very strong emotions. It's the path of least resistance. So those are the thoughts that my brain cues up. It's like the golden oldies, press play. The other reason that mindfulness of current thoughts is useful is because it makes me aware of the fact that my brain has thoughts. It's what my brain does. It thinks all day long. So it has a lot of thoughts and not all of them are going to be winners. 
Sometimes my brain has thoughts that are facts, like it's raining outside. And sometimes my brain has thoughts that are judgments, like my whole day is ruined because it's raining outside. (laughs) And those interpretations, those thoughts, those judgments really like to follow the path of least resistance. Those interpretations and judgments love my wheel ruts. Identifying thoughts as thoughts by putting that phrase, the phrase I'm having the thought that in front of it, basically calls my attention to the fact that, hey, there's a thought running. And that thought is not necessarily an indicator of fact. Sometimes that thought is not what actually just happened. When I'm going about my day, most of the time my machinery is running on autopilot. It just does what it does automatically. It just generates thoughts. And when my machinery is running automatically, it sticks to the thoughts that it does automatically. It sticks to my ruts. If I want to have different thoughts, I, A, need to be aware of when my machinery is running automatically. B, notice the action that the machinery is doing, like having a thought. And finally, C, choose something else in that moment. I think a lot about if you've ever driven anywhere and you get to that destination and you have no recollection of how you got there, because we zone out, especially places that we're used to driving all the time, like home or work or school or what have you, our brain just goes on autopilot and we lose our consciousness. Like we lose our ability to actually be in the present moment. So that's why mindfulness of current thoughts is a big deal because these thoughts Like my brain will just have thoughts on autopilot all day long and I will not have the experience that it is generating thoughts. I will just think that's reality. This is what is so. And getting that crowbar in there between the event, the facts, and my interpretations or judgments about them is it's kind of a big deal. It allows me to regulate. And clearly, like by the end of the recording we just heard, I was still sad and It wasn't despondent, hopeless, despairing sadness. It was sadness (laughs) without the despair. So, yeah, feels like a little win. And I'll take all the little wins I can get. Alrighty, so I'm going to wrap that up here. Thank you for listening. It is a pleasure, as always, to get to share my skills with you guys. If you're interested in supporting me on Patreon, it makes a massive, massive difference. There's a link in the description for that. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, queries, corrections, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, or email. The link to all of that is in the description. And okay, I'm just gonna end this super abrupt. This has been Let's Therapize That Shit with your host, me, Joy Gerhard. If you like what you heard, please rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends about it. I'll see you next time. Intro and outro music is Swan Lake Opus 20 by Tchaikovsky, performed by the London Symphony Orchestra, conducted by Anatoly Fistulari, and released on LP by Richmond High Fidelity London Records in 1952.